Good morning, everybody. Man, it feels good in here this morning. I got a little bit messed up in the worship right then. How'd y'all, y'all enjoy that this morning? Amen. Our worship team is always a, a wonderful blessing. Let, what do you say this morning before we start? Would you stand to your feet once more? I hate to ask you to, but I, I just want us to pray together once more before we begin. And I just, I just sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I just want to ask Him to do something special in all of us this morning. Hey, take a minute, just maybe open your hands to the Lord, just lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we just thank you. God, we thank you for your, your presence, Lord, that's here this morning, and for your spirit, God, that is always at work in our life, God. And as we, as we sung this morning, Lord, I just, I just thought about the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us because of your great love for us, God. And I pray this morning, I just sense in my spirit, Lord, that there's, that there's somebody in here this morning that needs to know your salvation, that needs to experience your saving power. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would convict their hearts this morning. And God, that you would draw them to a place of faith. You would place that faith in their hearts so that they could put it in you, Jesus. And they would be saved and transformed by the Spirit of God. And and Lord, we're just asking this morning that, God, every need in the house, Lord, whatever it may be, that you would minister directly to each person to bring peace where it's needed, to bring healing where it's needed, restoration, God, and give light and illumination to your word this morning that we could be transformed by it. God, we just take a moment right here this morning to say we love you, we thank you, we need you, God. We worship you, we give you the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' mighty name. And we say hallelujah this morning and amen. Can you say hallelujah, amen? hallelujah praise God it's good to have you all in the house of the Lord this morning I am uh, going to speak a message this morning about the anointing and that's uh, a a topic that maybe you know a little bit about maybe you don't know a little bit about if you're like me uh, you've heard it before in the past and we're maybe confused on the subject but I just I sense the Lord dealing with me several weeks ago and if you've noticed I've not preached a sermon series but the last three times I've spoken uh, on a Wednesday and then on Sunday, I've, I've kind of allowed uh, the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25 to launch me into uh, different messages because I felt like I was awakened one night and the Lord was dealing with my heart about it and I've not been able to get it off my mind. So it just keeps bringing me into other places and I want to speak about the anointing this morning. In Matthew 25, if you're not familiar with what we've spoken about here the past few weeks, the parable of the ten virgins, Jesus basically said, Here's what it's going to look like in the end times, in the last days before my return. And he gives different parables. And one parable that he gives is he says there's going to be like a delineation. He says there's going to be uh, basically believers or people who name the name of Christ, but there's going to be a distinction or a separation. And he said there'd be five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. And there was a cry at midnight that said, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And we said last week that was the cry of the Holy Spirit in our generation saying the bridegroom is coming, Jesus is returning and we need the true people of God to go out to meet him. It says the, the five wise, they had oil in their lamps but the foolish had no oil in their lamps. Now we talked about this oil being intimacy with Jesus, a living relationship with a living God where the Spirit of God and the presence of God was manifested in a person's life so that they could keep that light burning, that lamp burning in the midst 
midst of a dark time in the world. Now, we are in the middle of a dark time in our world, and it is increasingly getting darker and darker. But Isaiah 60 says that darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the glory of the Lord shall be seen upon His true people. Amen. And so that's what we believe. We believe that in the last days, there's going to be a distinction because many will be drawn into the darkness, or because of the darkness, their light will be quenched, and the love of many will grow cold, Jesus said. But there's a true people of God, chosen and elect, anointed by Him, that have this anointing of the Holy Spirit, that it drives them into the secret place with Jesus Christ in the darkest hour. And they don't just have an outward form. They don't just have an empty lamp. They've got oil on the inside of the lamp. They have an anointing of the Holy Spirit on the inside of their lamp that causes that light to continue to burn in the middle of darkness. And because of it, the gospel goes forth, the power of God is manifested, and people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I want to talk to you specifically. We, we've talked about the oil. And in, in the Old Testament, when you talk about the oil specifically, what it is most represented by in the Old Testament is what we would consider to be anointing. Now, anointing oil was used for very specific purposes. One reason that it was used was in the tabernacle, in the holy place, there was a menorah with seven candlesticks, and that had to always be lit. And it is a picture of your soul, your spiritual life, that your intimacy with the Holy Spirit has to always keep that flame lit. You can't let that flame go out. You have to fan into flames the gift of God that is within you, right? And you have to continue to allow that flame to be lit through your intimacy and relationship with the Holy Spirit. And the Scripture says there's a reason there were seven candlesticks because the Scripture says the Spirit of the Lord shall be upon him. That's number one. Then the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord shall rest upon him. And see, in Christ, our relationship with the Holy Spirit, we have all of that that can function in our life. That is the oil of God. Now they would also call people and set them apart. They would say, hey, you're going to be a king. You're going to be a prophet. You're going to be a priest. Or they would separate certain utensils like the lampstand or, or like the brazen altar. And they would pour oil on the person or the object. And what it would do is it would separate that person or object to say, this person isn't to be contaminated by the things of the world. This person is anointed. They are set apart. They are made holy. They are special. And their lives are to be used not for the entanglements of this world but their lives are to be used for the things of God and when there was that distinction and that separation God would place his Holy Spirit upon it to enable it to do something that it couldn't do otherwise and so we are looking for the anointing in our lives and, and, and the question is have you ever wondered what the anointing is if you if you come from a Pentecostal or charismatic background so they talk about the anointing all the time and it's like I don't even know what y'all are saying like you know you get a, you hear, you hear a Pentecostal preacher preaching. I've been, I've been in those circles a lot. And it's just like, there's, there, there's a greater anointing coming. There. I'm like, give me some definition. I'm a, I'm a words guy. Like, what does that mean? I, I need to I flesh this out for me. I need to understand what you're talking about. Because I want it. I'm just not sure exactly what it is. And, uh, and so, so they would talk about that all the time. And what you'd find is that people would say, oh, like this morning, most people, they would have said this morning, after you just listened to what we listened to and you worship, you'd have said, my Lord, that's anointed. 
You know what I'm saying? That's what you would say. That, that's anointed. That's, that's what you would feel like. And, and, or, or somebody get done praying. I remember one time, you know, I used to pastor a church, uh, uh, a small group of people, and, and I was preaching one time, and there was an old lady that she never really complimented me that much. She didn't like me that much, I don't think. You know, or the, the, the first church I pastored in, I actually got voted in, you know, and there was probably like eight or ten people that didn't vote for me. So you're kind of like searching out in the crowd, you know. Who's looking at you? You're one of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you just... You kind of forget that feeling. Like, uh, but she was probably one of the ones that didn't vote for me. You know what I'm saying? When, and, uh, but one, one day, um, I, I was actually aggravated. You believe that? A pastor aggravated, praise God. And it was on a Sunday morning. And the reason being was because I had re received a lot of resistance from some people in the congregation. And I was trying to make changes and do what God... And I was young. I was like 27 years old or something like that. And, and, uh, and, 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 and I was trying to make changes. But man, one woman got up one, one, and she very, very strongly said in a, in a meeting that we had, How about when you make all these changes and all we've done is lost our tradition, she said. And, and, and you know, there was a little bit of scuffle or whatever. And I, the, I bless that woman. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying I got... I got aggravated. I got frustrated. The next morning, I got up and preached. And to be honest with you, I'm being honest, I preached a little bit angry. Amen. Y'all believe, believe preachers can preach a little bit angry sometimes? They can do it. Uh, they're, they're human just and, and I pray but you know what? When I got done preaching a little bit angry, I got to step off that stage. That woman came up to me. She said, Honey, that was anointed. I said, I said, I thought I was just angry. The point being is that, I'll be honest with you, a lot of people cannot distinguish anointing from sometimes anger. They can't distinguish anointing from their preference. They can't distinguish anointing from gifting. And sometimes in certain churches, because they are so used to people preaching hard or whatever, they think when you preach hard and you're mean and angry, well, that's anointed. If you say the word hell a lot, well, then you're anointed. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, but see, anointing is something very dynamic and very specific. It goes beyond music. It goes beyond preference. It goes beyond just your style. It goes beyond how entertaining you are. Like, I might be entertaining one morning and be like, man, I love that Clay. He's a good preacher. But there's a difference between entertainment and the anointing. There's a big difference between entertainment and the anointing. And so as I began to study Scripture about the anointing over the years, I started to develop a fuller picture. And one of the things that I discovered and came to realize is that Jesus is if Jesus Christ was the anointed one and everything He did, He did by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, how much more so do we need to understand what the anointing is and function under the same anointing that our Lord functioned under? We need it worse than anything in the world. And in the, the anointing in the Old Testament, it simply meant this. It meant to pour oil or ointment onto a person in a ritualistic fashion. And probably the most uh, common story that you know about this, about pouring oil on somebody in a ritualistic fashion, is the story of David. If you remember, right, there was uh, King Saul at the time, but God had stripped him of his anointing. He was anointed king, but he started using that anointing for his own purposes. And when he started using that anointing for his own purposes, God said, I have taken the kingdom from your hands and I've given it to another. Now, he remained king for some another 15, 20 years after that took place, interestingly enough. But God said, no, Samuel, I want you to go down. I want you to anoint another as king. And he went down to the house of Jesse and he shows up at Jesse's house. And you got all these dudes, man. He's got like eight boys and then boys come out. 
And they're all a bunch of Chads and Todds, big buff looking dudes. I mean, just looking good. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know about Chads and Todds. Uh, um, it, they, were, they were frat boys, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they stood out there looking good in their polos and all that stuff. And he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. It's probably that big dude right there, Eliab, because he looks like he could whip a horse, son. And he's thinking about, Lord, this has got to be the guy. This has got to be the guy. And all of a sudden, the Lord's just, he's just silent. And he says, no, 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 he's not here. So Samuel asks Jesse a, a question that's kind of, he's like, is there another, you got another boy somewhere or something? And Jesse's response is kind of strange. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, like he failed to mention David. Nobody expected it to be David. And David even writes about how there's something questionable. He wrote in one of the Psalms, he said, My father and mother forsook me, but the Lord has taken me in. Some people question whether or not he was an illegitimate child. Maybe he was born of another mother. We're not sure. It's, it's left undone. Most every other person's story that is a hero in Scripture you know about their father and their mother and there's development. But for David, there's not a whole lot of development except that he had eight other brothers or, or seven other brothers and he is sort of the unwanted one. And Jesse says, you know what? He's out there keeping the sheep. I'll send for him. And he brings in this 14-year-old, maybe 16-year-old boy and it said he's ruddy and he's good looking, but he's a little bit different. And in the presence of the Lord, all of a sudden, he pours the oil on David's head in the midst of his brothers. And it says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward. But see, what was different about David, I love this about David, because these men externally, they had, they had the lamp, my friends, but they didn't have no oil in the lamp. Externally, they looked amazing. They were gifted. They had the strength. They maybe even had the smarts. But see, David was in an obscure place, and nobody expected him to be the one. He's out keeping sheep, making cheese, fighting off wolves and lions and bears with slingshots. Like, he's got his harp, and, he, and his dad's like, you know, we can't get David in here. He's out there singing emo songs to God. He's a weird young boy. He's a weird young boy. And I mean, he's writing all kinds of foolishness. I don't want my boy playing music. That's weird. And he's out there just, oh, Lord, I love you. And I don't know, I don't know. You know, he's singing how precious is the, I don't know. But you start thinking about in the Psalms what he writes. He, said, he starts, he, see, the Psalms are not a man that sat down with pen and pad. The songs are a man that was playing music and from his heart a song began to be birthed. And he starts writing things and he says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He started singing. He said, Lord, deliver me from the wicked men of this world who have their portion in this life. As for me, I will behold your face in righteousness and I'll be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. He said, you know what, Lord, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. His desires begin to change. He's doing this. He's not doing this for people. He's doing this alone with God in, in, in an obscure place. Psalm 23, he says, you know what? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. One place he says, he has, he has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And what? He has anointed my head with oil and my cup runs over. 
So, so he's talking about all these things. And see, that anointing comes upon him because in the secret place, in the obscure place, when nobody else is looking, when everybody else has rejected you, when you're lonely, when you're in the wilderness, God is inviting you into a place where the anointing may come upon you. This morning, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, you know, Claire, there's a lot of people going through what seems like to be a wilderness season. And they're in a lonely season. They're wondering what's going on. And God is actually drawing them into an obscure place where where he can become their best friend because in that secret place is where the anointing is poured out. That's where the anointing... Don't waste that season. David didn't waste that season. He spent his time worshiping God, learning how to do battle, killing lions and bears so that he could be prepared. He knew that God was with him in the secret place, in the loneliness, in the obscure place. And that's why when he was faced with Goliath in public, he said, you know what? I fought the lion and the bear in private, and this, this, this great giant shall be just like the lion and the bear. God was with me then. He'll be with me now. And the anointing of the Lord was upon him to do the work that God had called him to do. He lived a life of private devotion. And so when he comes out, I'll read what I just said to you. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I refused him. That's Eliab. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, the Lord isn't just looking at the lamp. He's looking to see if there's oil in the lamp. Amen. That's better preaching than y'all are shouting this morning. I'm telling you right now. He's not just looking to see if you got a lamp. That lamp may be beautiful. It may be gold. It may be shiny. You may, you may brush it off and shine it up every Sunday morning and put on your very best. But internally, is there any oil on the inside? If God were to send the fire on a Sunday morning, would you actually be lit? Amen. I sense the Lord saying this so strongly. That's why I keep preaching it over and over again. Then it says in verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. No one expected David. You know, when we talk about anointing, we talk about something where basically what, they, what, what I always assume they meant is, listen, Clay, your giftedness can only go so far. You may be able to speak well, but your ability to speak well, your ability to understand things, that can only go so far. What you need is an anointing from the Holy Spirit. I can remember times in my life, listen, the last thing that I ever wanted to do, I say this all the time, what was to speak in front of people. But you know what the anointing does? It gives you an enablement and an empowerment to do what God wants to do, whether you want to do it or not. That's what the anointing does. There's an empowerment to do what God wants to do, whether you want to do it or not. God has enabled me to do things that honestly I've not wanted to do. He still asks me to do things that I say initially when people ask me, my flesh says, golly. But the Spirit says, no, son, this is what you're anointed for. This is, what it's, this is what I'm upon you for. This is what it is. Now, Christ, when we talk about the Christ, Jesus Christ, guess what? Christ is not his last name. Christ means, in the Greek language, anointed one. And it means anointed one because in the Old Covenant, who were they looking for? They were looking for a Messiah, Messiah. You know what that means? The smeared one, the anointed one, the one covered in oil. So when he shows up, Jesus is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He's the one smeared in the oil of the Holy Spirit. And see, David is that Christ type. And you see so many types of Christ in the story of David because his father sends David to serve the same way the father sends Jesus to serve. And when he goes out... 
into battle, guess what? He sees one Goliath covered in bronze, which is a picture of the judgment that we stand under. And David goes up against Goliath, and he cuts the head off of Goliath the same way that Jesus cuts the head off of sin, hell, death, the grave, and Satan. And guess what? He cuts the head off of Goliath with Goliath's own sword. Jesus cut the head off of Satan with Satan's own sword, death itself. He entered into death, took his own sword, and defeated death by death. That's the same picture in there. Now, David took his head off and takes the head of Goliath up to a place historically that they called Gaul Goliath. Later on down the road when Jesus was crucified, guess where he was crucified at? A place called Golgotha, which is the new translation of Gaul Goliath. So he defeated Satan in the same place that the head of Goliath was slain. He was the Christ type, the anointed one that came to set us free from the giant of sin, death, hell, the grave, Satan, and all the powers of darkness. He is the one that came to defeat that and cut the head off of that through his own death. And so he is the anointed one. But when we talk about anointing, like, like I said, I think sometimes we exaggerate because we are so performance-oriented in the church and because a lot of times we look for singers and good preachers. We exaggerate anointed singing and we exaggerate a lot of times anointed preaching even though those things are important. Now even in the scripture, I ain't going to, I ain't going to dilute that number because 2 Kings 3.15 it says, he said, but bring me now a musician and then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Now I don't know about you, but when I come in here on Sunday morning and they begin to play and I begin to worship, I literally start to sense the turning of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. I don't, know, I, don't know how, I don't know if you experience that, but I experience it. Sometimes I want to holler. Sometimes I want, and then I just sit there, and Andre will tell you, I start to go, I start to go, mm, mm. Because I sense, I sense the presence of the Lord. And, and you know what I know in that moment? I know in that moment, Lord, when I get up to speak, I don't have to worry anymore. Because there's going to be something on the inside of me that is greater than my fears. And my, matter of fact, I preach beyond who I am, y'all. My preaching is better than me. I'm not as good a person as I preach. I'm not as talented a person as I preach. The anointing allows you to do what, what is, what's beyond you. This morning, I was getting ready. They were, I, 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 reached in one, I reached in one thing for something, and I just said, what are you doing? I was like, I have no idea. It's early, I, somewhere else into the kitchen, I reached for something else, and she was like, what are you doing? I said, I got no idea. She's like, how do you even preach at 10 a.m.? I said, buddy, it just goes to show you that his power is perfected in our weaknesses. I have no idea what I'm doing in the morning. i got to be honest with you. I just get up here and trust the Lord to show up, but there's something special that comes. 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 16 said, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, in the Old Testament, they viewed God as so absolutely sovereign that there was nothing that took place uh, except it be by the Lord's hand. Now, Jesus came up and, and he showed us a different. He never attributed the work of the demonic to the Father's hand, even though he may have allowed it. So they used that language of a distressing spirit from the Lord, but it's demonic in nature. And he says, Let our master now uh, command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. Can I give you a cool little word study right here? Where it says skillful, it's the Hebrew word yadah. It means a knowing player on the harp. It is another term for intimacy. It means that while he, not only does he know how to play the harp well, but while he's playing the harp, he knows how to get in contact with God to allow the Spirit to flow through him to produce God-anointed music. They were aware of that. 
a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. How many of you believe that when the anointed church gathers together and worships God, and we come, some people say, well, you know, I, I don't like all that music they play down there at that church. Uh, Hallelujah. Well, God bless you. We love the music we play down here at this church. If you don't like it, there's plenty that don't have music, praise God. But when we come in here, we play music not for our own benefit or because we like listening to music. We play music because we believe that it gives glory and honor to God. And in the Psalms, that's what they did. It said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise Him on the timbrel, even though we ain't got one, and the harp and the lyre. We'll do it on the piano, the guitar, the drums, whatever we've got, because we believe that everything that has breath should praise the Lord because the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. And I'm going to preach against that religious spirit that says anything otherwise. Amen. I felt that a little bit. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, so they're playing music. How many of you believe that when we get into that place where we actually worship God, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit can come and drive away distressing spirits? I want you to come in here. you got a harmful spirit on your life, tormenting you, anxiety, fear, worry. Come into the presence of God. And when we worship and when we shout our praise to God, the music is played. God shows up and that distressing spirit begins to flee in that moment. I've sensed it too many times. I've experienced it too many times. But see, we believe that there are anointed musicians. There's anointed music. There is a legitimate atmosphere that can be created in which God says I think I'll manifest myself in that place that's true y'all I mean you don't believe that I don't know what to tell you there are certain atmospheres when people are in one mind and one accord and they praise and worship God in one mind and one accord and they're not bound up looking around at other people and judging people and thinking all kinds of thoughts but they're God focused that God says man I would love to come down and saturate that place that's what we're so hungry and desperate for. That's why we worship. That's why we sing songs. We want God to show up. We're not here to entertain. But see, if we push a little deeper, what we discover is that in the Old Testament, we can round out our theology on the anointing a little bit more deeply because in the Old Testament, they had a priesthood that involved people and things that were anointed for specific service. Robert Culver says it like this. He says, from ancient times, the Hebrews inaugurated officers of their national community by pouring special oil on the head of the person designated for office. The same practice was used to set up objects apart for special divine use. Now what the old covenant was in a natural ritualistic uh, function as pouring the oil is in the new covenant equal to the Holy Spirit coming upon a believer. Setting them apart for God's use specifically. In Exodus 30, 32 and 33, it says, Yahweh says this. He says, It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. It is holy. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. Here's what he's saying. He says, you want to know the people that I put this oil on? It ain't just somebody who's your, who's your regular Tom and Joe doing day-to-day -day stuff living out here in the world. It's somebody who has understood that the work of the Lord must be accomplished in the earth. And they've said, God, for your sake and for the sake of your kingdom, I will separate myself from the entanglements of this world to come up under your hand and under your purposes and say, God, not my will, 
but your will be done. And he says, that's no longer an ordinary person. I will pour the oil on that person. It's somebody who shuts the door on the world and gets into a secret place with the Lord and all of a sudden the oil begins to be poured out upon that person because they have an intimate life with God in the secret place. Amen. So he had a game plan, but he needed people separated for his own person, for his own purposes because an anointed person in the Old Testament was anointed for God's purposes and not their own. You can't use the anointing for your own benefit. You can't use it for your own purposes. It's for God's purposes alone. David was not anointed to play the harp. He was gifted to play the harp, but he was anointed to be king. And he was anointed to be a very specific kind of king. The Apostle Paul was gifted to write books. He was gifted to write theology. But he was not anointed to write theology. He was anointed to be an apostle. And with that, a very specific kind of apostle. God will put his anointing on your gifts, but the gift is not the anointing. There's something completely different. Amen. So the anointing in the New Testament, let's look about this because the first example of the anointing in the New Testament is the anointing of Jesus of Nazareth. And it says in Luke chapter 3, this is the equivalent of the oil coming upon him like it did David. It says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. So he's anointed in the midst of his brothers, so to speak. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son in you I am well pleased and immediately it says in Luke 4 after the Holy Spirit comes upon him and anoints him notice this then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil do you know some people say well I sure would like to be anointed do you know that sometimes the anointing will actually drive you into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil somebody said well I never mind then Not that interested. Sometimes the anointing will throw you into a wilderness among wild beasts. And then it says he spends his time under this anointing, resisting the temptations of the devil. And in that time, he becomes the new Adam and he becomes the new Israel. He's the new Adam because he faces the same three temptations that Adam and Eve faced, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And he resists them all. But he's the new Israel. Why? Because in 40 days in the wilderness, he recapitulates Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. So when he comes out of the wilderness, having went through 40 days and having gone through all the temptations, he arises as the new Adam, the new man, and he also arises as the new Israel. He is the new Israel. Somebody said, well, we still got Israel. Yeah, Israel is a nation over there, but when we speak biblically, the people who are in Christ are the true Israel according to Scripture because Christ is the new Israel. Understand that. Amen. And so, he, the baptism for Jesus is his Red Sea moment. Then he goes into the wilderness, and guess what? Then he returns, and it says in verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Notice that, specifically the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region. So you see, he goes through this process, like where he's anointed by the Spirit, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness, he's tempted and tested, and then you see the, the anointing increasing on, of, on his life, and all of a sudden it says he returns now, not just being 
being filled with the Spirit, but now he has the power of the Spirit upon his life, and there's an increase in the anointing. Then he stands up to preach in his hometown, and he reads from the book of Isaiah in Luke 4, 18 and 19. He says what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. See, Jesus is now anointed and he has stepped into his mission. Now he has direction. He says, look, I'm now anointed by the Spirit of the Lord and I have a specific mission from my Father. And I'm only going to do what I hear my Father say and I'm only going to say what I hear him speak. And he says, because my mission is not my own but it's something that's directed by my father through the power of the spirit and so he comes in the fullness of that he says here's what I'm anointed to do to preach the gospel to the afflicted to open the eyes of those that are blind to heal the brokenhearted, to set people who are bound up with addiction and bondage and demonic oppression to set them free and to preach and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord to say God is not mad at you any longer because I'm going to die on a cross for you and shed my blood and I will wash all your sin away and I'll give you a new life and a new heart and a new mind this is the acceptable year of the Lord come into this good news accept this good news he's anointed to do those things he's called specifically to do those things and Jesus is anointed and he's on mission and see there's something specific about the anointing because when it comes on you you got no other choice my friend up to that point as far as we know about Jesus he hung out in the temple from time to time we know he was a carpenter he was probably, I mean, for 30 years, he's building tables and stuff like that, hanging out with his parents. And even before his time, do you understand, his mama was at a wedding one time and said, Jesus, they run out of wine. Can you hook us up? And he was like, woman, I don't know about saying that to you, mama. I, he, he's Jesus. What are you gonna, he can call his mama anything he wants. He said, woman, it ain't my hour. It ain't my time. He, he knew it was not his time. But he said, all right. And he did it. And there was the first miracle, miracle there in Cana of Galilee. And I think it represents the fact that Moses' first miracle was turning water to blood. Jesus turned water to wine. Water to blood was the ministry of death. Water to wine is a new ministry of celebration in life. Amen. So he brings that in as a signifying fact of him coming into to who he is as, as the Christ, the anointed one. And he steps into this position, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. But now all of a sudden it switches because he leaves his brothers. He leaves his family. He leaves his mother. He says, you know what? You know who's my brother, my sister, my mother? Those who do the will of God. When the anointing comes upon you, it shifts you from just doing what you used to do, and it shifts you from just being who you used to, work, used to be. And all of a sudden you step into something that is God, God called, God desired, and all of a sudden now your life is the Lord specifically for a specific purpose. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. Now get this. Guess what you all are called? You realize? You're called Christians. You know what that means in the Greek? Little anointed ones. That's what it meant. You're little anointed ones. You don't have the Spirit without measure like Jesus does, but collectively, what are we? We are the body of Christ. And on the body of Christ is what? The anointing poured out. And we walk in that same anointing that Jesus had on His life to continue to accomplish His will. So let me give you my definition of anointing. It is a separation to God in which one is gifted, enabled, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the specific purposes of God. Amen. But see, the anointing is not just a gifting because the anointing leads you from within. 
The anointing gives you discernment. This is what, this is what John speaks about in John uh, 2.19. He talks about how the anointing teaches us, guides us, and leads us. And in 1 John 2.19, he said, They went out from us. He's talking about people that left the church. And he said, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For the, if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. He goes on to say, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Do you realize that in this world there are people that try to deceive you? Anybody amen me on that? You may agree, you may not. It's out there. But he says, concerning those people, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. And basically what he's saying, look, people need teachers. We need teachers, right? Even he anoints. What he's saying is, you don't need somebody to come in and teach you something that is in addition to the gospel or the word of God. He's saying there's people coming in, Gnostics, other people with other religions, other spiritualities. They're trying to add to the gospel. He says you don't need anybody to teach you, but also you don't need anybody to tell you that's false. Why? You've got an anointing on the inside that when you hear false doctrine, the inside of you says, ugh. Y'all ever had that feeling? Sometimes you see things on the news or people, people teaching certain things. Or, or I, I find out all the time things that people are teaching in churches. And on the inside of me, it just it grieves me to my core. He says that's the anointing that abides within you. You don't need anybody to tell you that's false. You don't need anybody to tell you that's immoral. You don't need anybody to tell you that's wrong. Why? Because you have the anointing. And we know that they were not of us and that they do not have the anointing because they went out from us and went and followed those ways. He says the ones that are anointed in the New Testament are the ones that can discern the difference between truth and error. The anointing allows us to see something that is wrong or immoral or against the doctrine of Jesus Christ and says, man, something ain't right about that. How many of y'all, you ever been able, you've been able to get into something and, all, and just on the inside you're like, you probably shouldn't do that. Well, something told me. You know, it may not have been something. It may have been the anointing telling you. No joke, because the, the Spirit of God, the anointing, if you're a Christian, abides within you and it needs to be cultivated so that you can know the direction that the Lord has for your life. The anointed ones in John's mind are people who hold on to the truth about Jesus, the anointed one. And he says this in the context of the, of the fact that there are going to be many antichrists that come into the world. Now, anti doesn't just mean against Christ, but it also means in place of Christ. And he says many people are going to come in place of Christ. Many people are going to come like, like in our world today, honestly, we've got like a woke Jesus out there. We've got a political Jesus out there. We've got a very tolerant Jesus out there. We've got all kinds of different Jesuses that people tr try to project. But if those Jesuses do not come into a line with Jesus' word, they are a false Jesus. And the anointing will allow us to know that is not of the truth that is in error. And so he's trying to say, you need to know, and it's what he says. He says, you all know because you have this anointing abiding in you. And, and, and the Greek word there for know, I, I know, and I even gave you another one earlier, yada in the Hebrew. When, see, when they use the word know, we think about it differently, don't we? Like you say, do you know a person, and you could never even have a relationship with this person. Yeah, I know him, I know who you're talking about. I know. We're talking about mental 
Mental knowledge, just having some. But see, the Greeks and the Hebrews especially understood that to know something was to have a personal, intimate relationship with it. It was something much deeper. This is why the scripture says, if anybody says he knows Christ and does not obey his commandments, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. Powerful, isn't it? If you say you know him but you don't obey his commandments, you're a liar the truth is not in you. Because to know something is to be intimately connected with it. And so what he's saying is, you all know. In the Old Testament, you have the words wisdom and understanding. Hakma and madah, y'all know you don't care. But when you look at the definition of these words, what you find is, is that wisdom and understanding and knowledge all have an inner consciousness. It's like a detector on the inside of you that says, go this way, don't go that way. There's something on the inside that the Spirit of God works to give you an inner consciousness and an inner peace to know I need to go this direction. This is what I sense the Lord doing. This is what the Lord is saying. No, 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 don't do that. And He gives you wisdom from within. It's not just knowledge that you can learn or attain by reading books. We need to have Scripture in our heart. But get this, if I've got Scripture in my mind, the anointing can grab Scripture from my mind and apply it to my heart in a specific moment. That's important. Amen. This is a good teaching. Y'all good? So discernment is the ability to distinguish between truth and error. And this is what he's talking about. If you all been hanging out with any of the old timers like I used to, we always read the King James Version, which is an excellent version. In 1 John 2, 20, I love what it says. He doesn't say you have an anointing. He says you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Anybody in here heard that word unction before? Hallelujah. Praise God. Like that already makes you want to shout a little bit. Just, just when I hear it, I get ready to, you know. Because like, like, when we talk, back in the day when the old timers talked about the unction what they were talking about was the Holy Spirit impressing them to do something they were talking about the Holy Spirit coming in such a way in their life that it empowered them to do what they would not do otherwise. They say, honey, I got an unction right now. I got to say this. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and, and, and they learned to function in the unction. That right there's a good title for a sermon. I'm sure somebody's preached it before. But the unction dwells in you. In Isaiah 48, 17, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way that you should go. It's the unction and the anointing that teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way that you should go from within. Amen. You know how that's cultivated? Relationship with Jesus. You spend time with Jesus in the morning, you'll find more and more throughout the day that there are divine moments where you feel an, a leading from the Spirit to say this, don't say that. There's an inner peace that keeps you throughout the day because you've cultivated that anointing within. But see, the anointing leads you to know the real Jesus. Back in John's time, there were a lot of false Jesuses as there are a lot of false Jesuses today. People follow politics and they follow all kinds of other things and their, their Jesus gets diluted because rather than grounding it in Scripture, they ground it in cultural trends that is extremely dangerous. You're going to only know Jesus through His Word and through that relationship that He has with you through the Holy Spirit and through the people of God that bear witness to what the Spirit and the Word are saying. This is how we know Jesus. This is how He's revealed to us by illumination from the Holy Spirit. But see, nobody is going to meet your needs like the real Jesus can. He's a true Jesus, but he's also full of grace. And see, 
throughout Scripture, you see that Jesus replaces everything. In, in, in the book of Hebrews, they said, yeah, well, you, Aaron and Moses used to have a good ministry. You know somebody that's better? Jesus. He's repro- replaced the ministry of Aaron and Moses. There used to be a Levitical priesthood, but guess what? Now there's a priesthood, and you know who's at the head of it? Jesus. There used to be sacrifices in the Old Testament of bulls and goats and the blood of bulls and goats, but you know who has the best blood and who is the final sacrifice? Jesus. He is the better of all things. He is the, he is the one that the Spirit points to every time that He lifts His finger. He is the one that we worship. He's the one that we follow. We are worshipers of Jesus. And if you want comfort, sympathy, or friendship, you, you will find it in Jesus. He's the one that when Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus died, He came alongside of them and wept with them. If you want power, you will find it in Jesus. An entire legion of demons bowed at His feet and said, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? And He would cast out demons with a word. He has the power that you need. If you need genuine care and concern in your life, there were moments when people came just wanting to hear His word. They had nothing to eat. He would take just a few loaves and fish and He would multiply it and feed them all because He loved every one of them and He had compassion on them. Whenever you're going through sickness or or battling with health, it says that Jesus is the one who healed all that came to Him over and over again. I love what Acts 10.38 says. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, what? With the Holy Spirit and power. Who went about doing good, and what did he do through the anointing of the Holy Spirit and power? He healed all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The anointing enabled him to destroy the devil's work. The anointing is what destroys the, devil work, the devil's work, and Satan hates it. You know, Satan doesn't mind too much about our programs. He doesn't mind too much about our external form. He doesn't mind too much if we check the Sunday box. He doesn't mind too much about church attendance. That ain't what bothers him. What he wants to keep you from is having oil in the lamp. He wants to keep you from having uh, an intimate relationship with Jesus where the power of the Spirit of God is flowing through you on a daily basis. Amen. If you want real love, you'll find it in Jesus. So many people are broken. They come from broken families. You're looking for something. You're looking for restoration. You're angry. You're frustrated. I'm telling you, you get an intimate relationship with Jesus. He's going to come to you in love. He's going to restore your heart. Everything will change. You know, I was reading that scripture last night where it says that he can sympathize with our weaknesses, with our struggles. And because of his blood, we can actually come boldly to the throne of grace to help in our time. And that means that when I'm struggling, when I've even sinned, you know what I can do? I can turn to Jesus and I can say, Lord, I'm weak, I'm struggling, I've sinned against you, will you please help me? It says we can come boldly. And He will help us in our time of need and He'll give us mercy and He'll give us grace. And you know what that word boldly means? It means free speech. It means that you can come to Jesus and pour out your heart and say whatever you need to. You ain't got to have religious language. You don't have to have Bible language. You don't have to have Scripture memorized. You can come and pour your heart out to Jesus, and the more you pour out the truth, the more you will sense His compassion and love. And He will heal your heart because He's anointed to heal your heart. Amen. Both Paul and Peter, they had a robust idea. They said, for example... 
When Paul talked about the anointing in a sense, he said in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, he says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. He said that same thing. There needs to be this separation for the anointing to come. In 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, he says, But as he who called you is holy or separate, you also be holy in all your conduct, in your behavior, in your daily life. Be separate because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. And so if we, if we look at all this and what they're saying and we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, let me say this to you. Christians are anointed by the Holy Spirit and separated from the entanglements of the world for the work of the ministry, which is this. So you, if you're a Christian, you're anointed by the Holy Spirit and you're separated from the entanglements of the world so that you can do the ministry of God, which is these four things. Worship God, number one. Conquer the devil, number two. Equip the church, number three. And reach the world, number four. This is the ministry that God has anointed us to perform in its most specific, simple terms. But here's the thing. We have a general anointing and a general separation, but then there are also specific anointings. Not everybody's been anointed to be a, a pastor or an evangelist or, or those types of things. But in one sense or another, because we are all part of the body of Christ, we have an anointing, and oftentimes we have a specific anointing. Do you know that you can actually be anointed to raise godly children? Do you know that you can actually be anointed to run a business that benefits the community and also generates income for the kingdom? Do you, know, do you understand that? That God's anointing goes beyond just the four walls of the church. It's not just something that functions on Sunday morning. It's God enabling you to have an impact on the world so that in your... Some of y'all are actually anointed to actually be in a school system, right? Right now, perhaps, that you impact those children that they see the light of Christ in a place where, honestly, there's very little light. And, and so you, you can be anointed for a, a variety of things, but there's a difference between anointing and gifting. The gift is given without repentance, you, can, you know, you can be gifted by God and use it to serve the devil. There's all kinds of people that have gifts, born with gifts, can sing, can speak, can do all kinds of things, but they use their gifting for the devil. The anointing you cannot use for the devil. You try to use it for the devil, God will lift it off of your hind end, son. He will. Now, you can get a satanic anointing. You can get demonic spirits to help enable you. This is why in the last days they said there will be great lying wonders. There'll be people that are led astray because there are demonic anointings that bring false signs. Amen. That's a little bit deeper, isn't it? But see, we don't want the false signs. We want the signs that say we're separated from God. We are anointed for His purpose. And if miracles and signs flow in order to glorify Jesus and glorify His kingdom, then amen. But when you start seeing signs and wonders that glorify a person or glorify something other than Jesus Christ, you're seeing something false. And this is where discernment comes in because the gift is corruptible, but the anointing is incorruptible because the anointing only ever accomplishes the purposes of God. See, the gift is given freely to the human spirit, and it is an extension of the human spirit. You can grow in your gift. Like, get this. I can grow in my gift. Like, if I'm good at guitar, I can sit down and say, I want to get better at guitar. And I can play and play and play. I can play golf. I say, you know what? I want to develop this gift. Problem is there, I can't develop it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just gets worse. Amen, it's rough. Uh, 
You can develop your gift, but you can also cultivate your anointing. And see, you can, you can cultivate that gift, but the, uh, the gift comes through practice. The anointing comes through presence. The anointing comes because you are in love with Jesus. You're given to worship Him. You worship Him through word. You worship Him in spirit and in truth. You're in prayer and intimacy and fasting and seeking the Lord in that sense. Saul was the king of Israel, but when he used the anointing to serve his own purposes, God lifted the anointing off of his life. He still had all of his giftings. You know there's a lot of preachers on Sunday that people listen to and they are extremely gifted, have no anointing. They draw crowds by the thousands and they're not an ounce of anointing on their life. Hearts aren't transformed. Lives aren't saved. People aren't disciples. People are more helping themselves than they are worshiping Jesus. Amen. I'm taking my time this morning. Y'all okay? The anointing doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God and comes upon you as long as you are separated to God for His purposes. Now notice this. The gift can serve and build up self, platforms, businesses, but the anointing always builds up Christ. Somebody is gifted, man, they can build their platform. They can have their own personal website. Like people come from miles just to hear them and see them. The gift will create you a platform, but the anointing builds up Christ. It's a big difference. The gift can be a vehicle for the anointing. What am I saying? You can be gifted by God, but because you take that gift to the secret place with God, all of a sudden He pours oil on the gifting, and now when you stand up, people aren't sure whether you're amazing or God is. They get lost in it. Amen. I feel this. The gift is the birth of self, but the anointing causes the death of self. The gift is about self-actualization. The gift is when I get to pat myself on the back. The anointing is when we weep before the presence of a holy God. There's a difference. The gift, I like this one the best. The gift gives goosebumps. The anointing breaks the yoke. How many of you heard somebody, you, you heard something going, oh, shoo, I just got goosebumps. Gifted. All of a sudden, you hear, you hear somebody something hits you like a ton of bricks in your gut and you feel like the Lord is dealing with something in your heart and you come to a place of repentance anointing difference amen the gift inspires but the anointing transforms D.L. Moody was a great example of this they said that D.L. Moody that he would preach and he had he had basically no oratorical ability. Charles Spurgeon was a way better preacher than him in his time. But the difference was is Charles Spurgeon would preach and people would say, man, that's amazing, and they'd be convicted. But when D.L. Moody preached, he preached a, a message that hardly had anything, but people would fall on their face and weep before God. And they said he was just simply anointed. He spent time with God. He said, I pray six days and burn on the seventh. Amen. I pray six days and burn on the seventh. But see, our ultimate concern needs to be the anointing and how we cultivate it. This is why, honestly, when we talk about, at the beginning of this year, we talked about consecration, setting ourselves apart to be in the secret place with God. That anointing comes because we as a collective body are in the secret place with God during the week, praying, fasting, in the Word. And we, when we come together collectively, what we have is a, it, it, our oil. We have been anointed with oil in the secret place, and our cup runs over in the public place. 
But see, the problem is, is often we come to church with no anointing. And what we're hoping is that somebody in the room has just enough overflow of oil to fill my cup up for me. But what God is saying is saying, no, no, no. Don't just come to clay or come to church. Go to Jesus in the secret place and he will allow your cup to so overflow that when you come in here, you don't even need to be filled up because you're pouring into somebody else around you. And your praise on Sunday morning shakes off to the person on your right. And your prayer for them on Sunday morning around the altar pours out on them and a yoke is broken and they are set free and something demonic is destroyed in their life because you've been filled up during the week. Amen. Y'all picking up what I'm laying down this morning? See, there's a, an anointed church that cultivates the anointing. Thank God we've got gifts. I think I, I, what I love about our worship team is they are extremely gifted. But you know what I notice out of them? They're pursuing the anointing. They want something more. And that, 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 makes, that, that encourages me because I know they're not, they're not just coming up here and doing this because they want to sing and look awesome because they are awesome. And every time we listen to them, we say, golly, they're awesome. But what they want is the Lord to show up. And I get that some people who are listening to me right now come from backgrounds or, or maybe you've been so set in your ways that you're just like, I don't even know if I believe in that. I'm telling you, responding to God in worship, like I've said over and over again, will you be interested in hungering enough for the deeper things of God so that he finally says, I see your hunger, I'm going to pour some oil in. I'm going to do something different. Churches, entire, what we want is not just an anointed preacher, anointed musician. I've said this before. We want an anointed congregation. We want an anointed body that functions on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then on Sunday it is an overflow of the presence and power of God that we leave here so filled up and set free that we can't contain what we've got in our workplace during the week. An anointed congregation. You know, sometimes you can be anointed though, and it impacts your community. Like Jesus, when the anointing comes on him, he preached that. You know what they did in his hometown? You know what they did? They took him out to the cliff to throw him over it. The anointing can ruffle feathers. Oh man, that was good right there. You can be anointed and religious people absolutely hate it. You can be anointed and doing the will of God and church people can't stand it. You can be anointed and everybody get aggravated at you because of it. They were aggravated at Jesus. His anointing aggravated him so much that they crucified him. But what I'm saying is when you're anointed... You complete and fulfill the purposes of God regardless of whether the religious people like it or not. Let me tell you something, folks. We're not here to serve religious people. We're not here to minister to people who don't want Jesus. We're not here to minister to people who only want the lamp with no oil. We want people who say, I got my lid open. I want the oil poured in. I need redemption. I need salvation. I need the real Jesus. I don't care what I used to be. I don't care what I used to have. I don't care what I used to believe. I want Jesus in all the fullness of Him. I want Jesus and all the fullness of Him. And the last thing that the enemy wants is for you to be filled with the anointing of God, to serve God's purposes where you are. The anointed church, I'm going to finish right here. The anointed church makes a radical shift from self-obsession to God-obsession. We say it's not about me, not about what I want, not about my preference. I come to church not to get what I want. I come to church to worship God, to give Him my whole life. Number two, the anointed church turns from pseudo-self-development to holy calling. It's not about me becoming a better version of me. 
It's about me receiving a calling from God and accomplishing God's will and saying, God, I ain't here to just improve myself and make myself a better version of me. I'm here to submit to what you are calling me to do. And I'm here to be separated for your purposes. Number three, it pivots from self-centered consumerism to an outward-focused priesthood. Church is not about, well, do they have something good for my kids? Well, do they have the kind of music that I like? No, no, no. It's not about your preferences or what you like. It's about you being a priest of the Most High God, worshiping God, and then going out in your workplaces and in your families in the week and allowing God to empower you to set people free and bring salvation and bring the good news to them. It's an outward-focused priesthood. Lastly, the anointed church transforms detached spiritualism into a realized mission of redemption on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? It means that it's not just like, well, you know, me and Jesus got our own thing going. No, no, you don't have your own thing going. Jesus calls his body all into the one mission of bringing heaven on, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God right here in our midst, in our community, to minister the gospel to people so that they could receive the salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ. I'm going to read two last verses, and I am finished. Psalm 92.10, David said, But my horn shall you exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I read about that. That is a very specific word, and they don't know what that unicorn is. All they know is it's a massive beast. And he's saying, My horn, my authority, you will exalt like this massive beast. Like a, it, it basically like killing 170 on a point scale buck. And then I'm going to have that kind of authority. You know what I'm saying? Amen. He says, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Isaiah 10, 27, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. How many of you, you need fresh oil this morning? I want you to bow your heads. Just open your heart, open your mind to the Lord. I know we've preached for a while, but just settle into this right here because I believe that the Lord is going to, going to give a fresh anointing and fresh oil to those who want it. That's right, stretch out if you need to. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just take a moment right here in His presence. Lord, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your presence. And Lord, we are praying right now for fresh oil for fresh oil to strengthen people to encourage people for that anointing to come upon their life in a new and fresh way God we are hungry for your presence we are hungry for you to do something in our lives Lord God if there's anybody in here this morning that doesn't know you that doesn't know your salvation Jesus you died on the cross for our sins and I pray that by the conviction of the Holy Spirit you would draw them this morning into that salvation if that's you this morning, just as an act of faith to say, I'm ready to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I need salvation. Would you raise your hand real high just as an act of faith in the presence of God right here between me and you? Anybody in the building? Anybody at all? Praise the Lord. Lord, we thank you right now for what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing. God, with your presence in our hearts. So we just take a moment to respond. I want you to take a moment to respond. And, here, and I, you, can, you can remain seated. You can come up around this altar. But here's what I'm going to ask. And I know a lot of times you, you, people don't like to respond. But if you need fresh oil, I don't know if you're depressed, if you're empty, if you're broken, if you just feel dry and stale. But if you need fresh oil, I'm going to invite you to come, come down here around this altar. I'm going to invite you to come and pray.
I know some of you want to pray at your seat, but I'm just going to invite you. They're, they're going to start to play right now, and you can move as you like. Just respond to the Lord at your seat. Come forward around this altar, but I'd like to pray for you. If, you. if you're feeling empty and depressed and broken and you need fresh oil in your life, just take a moment here to respond to the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus.